too want to just to give thanks to God for a beautiful day, the first day of, of August. August uh, still causes um, me to uh, shiver in, in fear at times from playing high school football in Alabama, and we would start uh, practicing in August two a days, and this would have brought joy to me in those 90, 90 days, 90 degrees and 90% humidity. So very thankful for that. Uh, for those uh, joining us on online as well, I'm Drew Smith, the pastor here, and welcome to all here and all online. I, I, I joked actually with uh, one, well, a couple people this morning that I had a sermon for them this this morning and uh, told uh, Mark Klusmeyer that because that's the first time a preacher's ever told me that. Um, uh, and uh, But I said, well, it's actually for everybody. This particular passage today is, is one that gives it where I can, I don't have a fear of somebody saying this doesn't apply to me. Um, because that's always a challenge, you know, from the youngest to the oldest, people that are in the middle of their career, people that are retiring, people that are students, uh, people black, white, rich, poor, from uh, different cultures. You always wonder, you know, will this apply or how does it apply? Well, today, this one applies for everyone because what the Apostle Paul is talking about is the eternal, internal battle with sin. That sin wages war inside you and me. And no one, no one uh, is able uh, to avoid the reality of that war waging inside of us to do the, the right thing, to, uh, to walk in this life with God, to, uh, to obey Jesus, to follow the promptings of the, the Spirit, to honor God with our life. This, this little three-letter word represents the, the ways that we are creative as sinners. That we can disobey God in all kinds of ways. We can actively disobey Him. Just saying, no, I'm doing my own thing. Or we can passively ignore the promptings of the Spirit and just try to stay under the, the, the radar, at least in our own minds. Uh, or we can give lip service to God, but internally... Our motives are, are self-focused. That, that's the one that's really easy for me. You know, I can hide behind a pulpit, the Bible, the church, the robe, the stole, the name, the, the whole bit. We can hide as well by giving lip service. Sometimes the, that battle with sin is so difficult and so real that some people just chunk the faith. Say, I, I'm no longer going to try to live in this. And others of us, we just lower the bar. Uh, particularly by comparing ourselves to others you know, in this struggle with sin. We can find people, we, oh, I'm not like them, so I'm okay. You know, that we, this is all of us are in this battle. And what Paul clearly explains to us in our passage today is this war of sin is within us, and he boldly, blatantly owns it and finds his hope in God alone. Uh, we'll, we'll see that as we look through Romans um, uh, 7. Uh, I saw somebody else got here early today, and they said, Yeah, you know, you sent out that text, and I read it. You said, Go read Romans 7, and I did, so I got here early to, <laughs> today. And I'm like, Oh, you made my day. Made my day with that one. But our, our passage is in Romans 7. Uh, we'll start with verse 
13. Uh, it should also be in uh, your handout, your bulletin today. We'll read uh, 13 to 25, uh, and then uh, we'll tease some things out from there. Then we'll look at the first part of chapter 8. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, again, we thank you for your written word that speaks to us of your truth. And, and truth applicable in our lives. So we ask now that, that your spirit and the, the power of your steadfast love would, would speak to us, would guide and, and lead us in the ways of Jesus with what we need to hear and what we need to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 7, starting with verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh. Sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, if you hear anything from this, this first, these first couple paragraphs here of Paul's letter, hear this, that he's telling us, and he, he, from his own experience, well, I think as well from the experience of Israel, from the experience of the, the Jews that are in the, the, the congregations, the small house churches that will be reading this letter. He's telling them that I will never defeat sin in my strength. That you will never defeat sin in your own strength. That we will never defeat sin in our own strength. He mentions a couple times in here the flesh. And how when we're in the flesh and we're trying to to fight against sin, that we will always lose. And what he means by flesh there is not so much the matter that covers our bones. He means our human capacities, our human abilities, left to our own human strength, our own intelligence, our own self-control, our own power. We will not ever defeat sin. Paul had experience with the, the, the Jews in the group of the churches in Rome. 
You know, they re remember the, you know, these are the small house churches that are gathering. They're a group of Gentiles and a group of, uh, who are Greek and then a group of Hebrew Jews that are, make up this church. And he's talking specifically or at the beginning of chapter 7 that I didn't read with those who are trying to live according to the law. And they could really relate to this because they, their whole story, the whole story of Israel is one who has the law, they had the commands, and they never fulfilled them. Even the heroes of the faith. You know, Abraham, Moses, Rachel, uh, uh, Daniel, David, Solomon. They, they were great along the way, but every time in their own strength, they were unable to keep the law themselves. And, and so too is Paul relating to that. He's saying I, but he's, he's saying those of us who are children of Adam, uh, those of us who fall in the same pathways of Adam, which he mentioned a couple chapters earlier. Yeah, and, and so you hear in Paul this conflict raging. that he says is warring within him. Yeah, he, he wants to do what is right, but he finds himself doing what is wrong. He has even healthy desires along the way, but eventually he's worn down. And he disobeys God. The bad in this world overtakes him. And he knows it. And he recognizes it. Now, a key point from this that I think is necessary and important to, to see is that Paul's not blaming anyone. He's, he's saying it is sin, this evil that around that is around me. He's, that is real. That is a real power that he's sort of personifying here. That he's waging war in him. But it is he... It is I, Paul says, who then is influenced by sin instead of influenced by the Spirit. I'm sure Paul could have blamed a number of people. I mean, he's surrounded by sinners, right? If he's saying this is true for me and for all, then he could have, he could have blamed his parents. He could have blamed his rabbi. He could have blamed the synagogue. He could have blamed the, the, the systems, the evil systems that were around him. He, he could have blamed just how Judaism was messed up in that day. He could have, could have blamed the, the, the systemic persecution, uh, the ethnic prejudices. He, he, he had a whole list of things that he could have blamed, but he didn't. He head on said, this battle is going on within me. It is real for him, and it is real for us. Now, just an aside, I mean, there are injustices and evil that is going on around us and in us, and we don't need to just passively let it go. We need to oppose it wherever we might see it. But just like Paul, we must own our own disobedience, our own selfishness, our own avoidance of God. We must own this reality in our own souls. And, and Paul, getting to the end, then yells out, because he, he's, he's aware, I mean, he's studied the truth, and he cries out, wretched man that I am! He cries that out for himself, for all of the people in the churches in Rome, and even for us today. For we all fall short. We all lose this battle with sin. And it's crucial that we recognize it and name it 
and stop trying to cover it up. Stop trying to ignore our sin or self-medicate in our brokenness. To lose yourself in busyness or pleasure. To avoid the reality of the war that rages within us. And we join with Paul in admitting that wretched person I am. Who can help me? Because I can't win on my own. And, And when we get to that place with Paul, that's the right place, the perfect place to be. Because then we cry out in the truth. We cry out with Paul. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He just cries out worship and praise and adoration and the truth of God. He doesn't even go into any detail at all. Just right then he cries out to God because he knows he is made right with God. He is empowered, freed from the guilt of sin and its power over his life in Jesus Christ. He owns his sin directly and clearly without trying to any way smudge it. And he owns his salvation that is in Jesus Christ. We've been freed with Paul. From depending on our own ability. Relying on our own self-control. Um, de- uh, thinking that we, if we're just strong enough, get a little more courageous, get a little better, that we can do it on our own. But our utter and complete dependence is on Jesus. Not just for our forgiveness, but for our daily obedience also. Uh, let me jump now to, to Romans 8. And here, um, uh, Paul, I mean, he speaks specifically here that indeed we will never defeat sin in our own strength. Now, let, let's hear then how this beauty of God uh, works itself in our lives as we face this war within us. Uh, here, these words are also in your bulletin, uh, chap- beginning of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So so the second thing that I think comes out of what Paul is saying here is that Jesus does for me what I can't do for myself. Both in my forgiveness and in my obedience. I mean, Jesus fulfills the work of the law in human form. He demonstrates that perfect human life that is dependent on the of giving glory to the Father and right relationship with the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, listen again to just these verses uh, 3 through 5. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What Jesus has done in His life and His death is fulfill the law, and in His death He has condemned the power of sin. He doesn't condemn us. That's why the very first verse, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because He has condemned. He doesn't destroy us. He has destroyed the power of sin, the guilt of sin. He has fulfilled the law perfectly in on our behalf, in our stead. So we can join Paul in saying boldly, honestly, clearly, help me, I am wretched in sin. And in the next sentence, say thanks be to God. Because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Sin is condemned. I am not. You are not. But you are wretched. And so am I. And we miss that. We get so caught in the forgiveness. We forget. No, we're still broken. The flesh still is present within us. And we're often, oftentimes... Forget that reality in our lives and this battle that we're on. If I could take in myself, if I could take the top of my head off and just pour two sentences in, these these would be, if I could do that with you, these would be the two sentences. I am wretched. I'm a wretched sinner. Jesus is a glorious Savior. I am a wretched sinner. Jesus is a glorious Savior. Both are necessary for us to fully fall in submission to Almighty God. And that's what Paul is telling us here. Now, I I borrowed those two sentences from John Newton. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Um, uh, John John Newton has quite an interesting story. He was raised in a Christian home. In England in the 1700s. But he went off on his own. He went off fully in the flesh. He became a full-fledged sailor. And every stereotype you have of sailor, Newton fulfilled. I mean, he was abusive in every way. He abused the English language. He abused alcohol. He abused women. He abused humans. He eventually became a slave trader. He, he, he took Africans, kidnapping them, throwing into the hull of his ship in order to then carry them across the Atlantic to sell them to other human beings. 
He actively encouraged others to join in his atheistic pursuit. He, he, he totally rejected the, his upbringing and brought others, tried to bring others to, to his place of total rebellion against God. He was known, he was called in those early days, the great blasphemer. That's uh, one of his nicknames um, on, on the ship. It, it was in uh, 1748, Newton would have been in his mid-twenties. March 21st, 48. Uh, that he was caught in a huge sea storm in the middle of the ocean. And eventually that took everything around. There was nothing he could do humanly to protect himself any further, to save himself from the storm. And in that moment, he says, he, he began to turn back to God. Remembered some of the songs. He remembered some of the passages that his mother told him and he began to cry out to God to help him and he did he was rescued from the storm and Newton's atheism had left him and he began his journey back with God again he didn't leave the sailing he didn't leave slave trading for a number of years but he continued on this journey this transforming journey of pursuing God. And by, in 1764, uh, uh, 16 years later, uh, at the age of, of 39, he uh, started working uh, off the boat and started pursuing um, uh, preaching. And he then moved to Olney and took a small church there and, and worked there until mid-50s, moved to London and was pastoring the church there and, and began to lead the movement of abolition in England. He, he had a couple parishioners that he influenced. One was William Wilberforce, who served under him, who was a member of parliament, who was the leader of the abolition movement in England. Um, and the other was William Carey, who, who became one of the great missionary workers translating the Bible into the languages of people all over the world. Well, it was, it was Newton um, at the end of his, of his life, as he, as he was very frail, um, his body was going, his mind was going, but he said, you know, my memory is very faint now, but I know two things. I remember these two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Yeah. So if, if, if I were to, to, to put anything in, I think about it further, I, and maybe even, I don't, I don't have any ink on me, uh, I'm not a body artist at all, but maybe on the inside of one arm, I would put this tattoo, I am a great sinner. And maybe the other one would be Jesus is a greater Savior. That, that those, are, those are the two phrases that are the truth of our history. They're the truth of the Scriptures. They're the truth of my life. And they're the truth of yours as well. I am a great sinner. And like Paul, I own it, head into it, full speed, or that's what Paul's calling me to do, calling us to do, and recognizing in the reality of that, that Jesus is a greater sinner.
or a greater Savior, not a sinner at all. Now, Newton's life also, it, it, it uh, illustrates for us the other part of this passage, the, 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 the third uh, point of this passage, that the, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live for Jesus today. I mean, uh, verse, verse 4 um, says, We walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're to live now in relationship with God through the, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. If we're followers of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit indwells within us. We can't be a follower of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. We can't confirm in our, with our mouths and with our heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior in our life unless the Holy Spirit indwells in us. I mean, our statement of faith is a sign of the Holy Spirit being alive within us. And that's what Paul is, is saying here. And the Holy Spirit is now the one who lives in us. He's the Spirit's the one that raised Jesus from the dead. Um, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now you, you see how we're in this mixed up in-between time. We're still in our mortal bodies. We're still in, in the flesh. But the Spirit dwells within us. That's why there's this war continuing to wage within us and the capacity within us now because of the Spirit to obey God. To do what God wants us to do. And that Spirit is alive within us. And it's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that raises us from the death of our own flesh and inability to do what God wants us to do. So it, it, is, it is our challenge to submit and live by the power of the Spirit, not in my own strength, not in my own courage or my own self-control or my own intelligence, but upon the Holy Spirit and to submit my strength, my courage, my self-control, my intelligence to the power of the Spirit within. When I live in the flesh, it's when I'm committed to doing it for myself. It's only in the power of the Holy Spirit that I and you, that we are able to live in a way that is obedient to God and living into the fullness of the purpose for which God created us. We don't get saved by grace and then live by works. We're saved in the life and obedience of, of Jesus Christ. We're saved by the grace of God in Him. The, the death and resurrection of Jesus frees me from my sin. It frees you from your sin and your guilt once and for all, past, present, and future. And it's the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Holy Spirit within us who now empowers us by His grace to live for Him today. That is the journey of transformation that anyone who's a follower of Jesus is on. Newton had this to say. I'm not sure when, when he said this. Uh, but he, he illustrates this journey. I mean, his whole life illustrates that journey of transformation. He didn't instantly leave the sin and evil that he was participating in. And he realized that was the case for his whole life. Here's what he says. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the journey that we're on. 
Now, three words, three words. All right, these are big, fancy theological words. Um, but this outlines this process, this, this process of salvation that, that Paul is outlining here. And we'll get to it more uh, next week. But justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are the three words. Justification is to be made right with God. That's what Jesus does on the cross. He justifies. He makes us right with God. It's a one-time event that Jesus has accomplished once and for all. We are with God because of Jesus. No matter what we do. That's the, the radical scandal of grace. That's our justification. We're made right with God. Sanctification is the process of being... The, the word sanctification comes from the word holy. Which means to be set apart. The sanctification is this transformation journey, this process of salvation being worked out in our lives, just like it was in Newton's, just like in mine, just like in yours. And that's the part of the journey that we're on now, this, this transforming journey. Until that day, as what Newton says, he's not what he hopes to be in another world, until that day when we meet Jesus face to face. And there we are glorified, we are perfected. We are made whole, complete. The unique you that God has created in your body, your mind, your gifts, your personality, they will be perfected and whole when we see Him face to face. That is the journey that we are on. And what Paul is talking about largely in this passage is that part of the path of sanctification. It's what he brings up in 6. It's what he's bringing up now. It's what he's going to be talking about as we finish eight next week we live in this battle in this journey this transforming battle of pursuing in our actions in our thoughts in our very character the way of jesus this this journey of freedom in jesus from the power of sin the this the holy spirit that empowers me and you to obey him today now, uh, some of you here or online, you, you may have never made that initial act of faith, that initial statement of saying, I want to follow Jesus. I'm committed to following Jesus. I, I believe in Him. He's my Savior and Lord. What, what Newton did in the midst of the sea. You may have never done that. And today may be the day. You, you may be in this realizing this battle within you and you've been trying to fight it, but you've never said, Jesus, I need you to forgive me and wipe this sin away. And, and if that's the case, invite you to come and talk to me after uh, the, the service or Pastor Daryl or Hope or other folks that are up here or, or somebody you know that's a follower of Jesus. Say, I want to follow Jesus. What, what do I do now? Uh, but many of you who are hearing this are on the journey of sanctification. You're, you're in that place, that, that journey with God where you need to regularly be taking a look at yourself. Do you have as good a handle as Paul does on the battle of sin within you? Are you open and honest, ruthlessly honest with yourself, with God, and maybe a trusted friend or two of that battle of sin within you? Or, or do you find yourself blaming other people instead of yourself? Do you, do you find yourself giving in to disappointment and just giving up because you're, you're a failure? Do, do you find yourself in using any of those other techniques to avoid 
blatant honesty of looking at your own life and bringing it before God and sharing it even with others as to what is God working in your life on today? What does this journey of transformation look like? Um, uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of going to a wedding. Uh, actually, it was Samuel Mock, who's the director of streaming and Next Generation Ministries here. And uh, Elizabeth Snyder, the youngest daughter of Dave and Claire Snyder, who were married um, uh, yesterday. And marriage is also, just like Newton's is a great illustration of this justification, sanctification, so too is marriage. Because yesterday, and the, the beauty of the flowers, and the crowd, and the makeup, and the, the dress, and the suit, and all that, you know, it was a, a celebration of commitment that is made for one another and the, the official joining together in marriage before God and others. So that's like justification. You know, it was, it was, it was done. They are married. They are husband and wife. And no, nothing more you can add to that legal reality. But everybody knows the journey of marriage is a transforming one. And you better say amen or your spouse is going to elbow you. <laughs> Or you've understood and you've seen that in other marriages, that it is a journey of transformation. Doesn't make the marriage any less a marriage in terms of its definition and reality, and even more so in terms of our relationship with God. But we are in a marriage with Jesus. And it is a journey of growing deeper and deeper in love with Jesus knowing Him more and more, and, let, uh, and then submitting to His Spirit, transforming our characters to be more and more like Him. But friends, that journey never stops until we see Him face to face. Unless you get perfect. And so if, if you're not on that journey, then you're saying you're perfect. That you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And I know, uh, I know myself really well. I know a lot of you. So far, I haven't met anybody that was perfect. But that's the journey of life that we're on. You got to own you. You have to own you today. You got to own your battle with sin and own your relationship with God. Jesus has justified you, and the Holy Spirit is at work sanctifying you. This is the reality. You gotta own your wretchedness. You gotta own Jesus' glorious salvation. However bad your sin, His grace is even greater. A communion that we're about to have is a great illustration as well. Well, the sacraments are the baptism and the communion, because baptism is that one-time event, that one time, that justification event. We are right with God. We belong to God. We will be with God forever. That is a promise of God's covenant, dependent not on our ability at all, but totally on Jesus. But when we come to communion, that's why we have it regularly. It's because we know we need to be transformed. We need to continue to, to feast on Jesus every moment of every day. And, and so we, when we take in Him at this table, spiritually, we know and pray that He will continue to be strengthening our faith. That He will continue to feed our soul. He will continue to make those changes within us. Brothers and sisters, this is the reality of the journey that we're on and that we're in. 
in, invite you yeah, this week, challenge you this week to own you. To, to truly own, yeah, th- this, this is where I am wretched. And I need you, Jesus, the power of the Spirit, to, to work in me. Let's pray.